Now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. When evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And the man replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable my sight to Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? This is the central question of Mark's Gospel account. Who is this Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God? Up to this point, Jesus has been revealed as teacher, 
He has taught the crowds in parables and the disciples in plain speech. The disciples, fearful of the storm, even addressed Jesus, Teacher, do you not care? Jesus is indeed a teacher, a great teacher, and yet more than a teacher. The disciples begin to recognize this as they marvel. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Mark uses this account of Jesus calming the seas to begin the second revelation of Jesus' identity. Jesus, the prophet. And now we encounter one of those challenges of the lectionary. I, I don't begrudge those who gathered together and, and set forth the readings that we would have each Sunday. It's a nearly impossible task of choosing. You see, our lectionary begins with the gospel reading, and the Old Testament lesson is one that references back to the gospel. The psalm reinforces that. And then the epistle follows as we journey through a letter week after week. In this week, we see an emphasis on the sovereignty of God, on the power of God that created all things, the power to raise up the oceans and to calm the oceans in Job. But I think that this reference goes a little too far and a little too quick. You see, the disciples in this journey don't know Jesus as the Son of God. They know Jesus, the teacher, and are about to learn of Jesus, the prophet. And I think it would be much better if we chose from the, the accounts of Elijah or Elisha as we sought to walk through this portion of Mark's gospel as Jesus is revealed in the power of a prophet. In fact, I commend to you in this time to read through that second half of 1 Kings and the first half of 2 Kings as we hear the accounts of Elijah and then Elisha, the great prophets who come in power and sign to bring the word of God and the power of God to the people of God. In our lesson today, Jesus does indeed manifest the power of God, the authority of the kingdom as he rebukes the wind and the waves. But as he and the disciples land on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, we begin to see this revelation of Jesus in the prophetic role of proclaiming the word of God to the people of God and the power of God. And in doing so, Jesus will reorder our understanding both of the power of God and the people of God. In the next few chapters of Mark's account, we will see the contagion of holiness that reimagines the purity laws of the Torah that define the people of God. The Levitical laws taught Israel how to be a people surrounded by unholiness in the world and yet dwelling in the presence of a holy God. They're taught that holiness cannot abide in the presence of the holy, that darkness cannot abide in the presence of light that death cannot abide in the presence of life. In the Levitical system, great care is taken to prevent the presence of death from coming into the presence of God. Death is the contagion. Contact with a dead body, even contact with animals and insects that consume dead bodies makes one ritually impure and unable 
to be in the community, in the presence of God. Leprosy and bloody discharges are markers of death and thus not permitted into the presence of God. The result of this Levitical system is a people separated from other people, and the other becomes a threat. We see in Jesus' time, the Pharisees are teaching that the return of the glory of God to Israel is dependent on being fastidiously separate, on being fastidiously pure. A purity once reserved for the priests, the Pharisees proclaim is the purity required of all people. But now Jesus, the one who commands even the wind and the waves, comes across the sea into a Gentile region, and the first person he encounters is a man possessed by unclean spirits, dwelling among the tombs, dwelling among the very presence of death, cutting himself so that life flows out of him. According to everything holy, Jesus should just back, get back on the boat and flee from this region. He should flee lest this man contaminate him with uncleanness. But Jesus has a different mission. Jesus proclaims the power and the authority of the kingdom of God. It's manifest in Jesus. And Jesus does not deny or change any of the truth. The truth that holiness cannot abide unholiness, that light cannot tolerate darkness, that life cannot tolerate death. Jesus doesn't change any of this. But no longer is death the contagion. Now holiness is the contagion. No longer is death and impurity contagious. Instead, light and life are contagious. No longer are the unclean to be avoided. They are to be healed and made clean. No longer is the other to be kept separate, to be feared and cast out of the community. They are to be welcomed into community to discover and become who they have always been, the beloved children of God in Christ. No, Jesus does not run from this demon-possessed man. Instead, Jesus, who has been praying for this man, from even before his, he left the boat, Jesus frees him from his bondage to death and welcomes him into the community of life. And the unclean spirit is sent into unclean animals, and death destroys itself in death. And the people of the region, so comfortable with the culture of death that they cannot even imagine the presence of life. They come and they beg Jesus, just depart from here. So comfortable are they with the culture of death that surrounds them. They cannot even imagine what life looks like. They can't imagine what it means to put away the ways of death and embrace the ways of life. So they beg Jesus to leave. And the man who has been healed the one who has tasted like begs to depart the region of death and go with Jesus. And yet, Jesus refuses and instead commands this man to go and tell everyone he knows what the Lord has done. He sends him to expand the imagination of the people of the region so that they might one day be able to welcome life. 
sent to expand their imagination by telling what the Lord has done. And consider the fruit of this mission. When Jesus returns to this region of the Decapolis, the people, instead of begging him to leave, beg him to lay hands upon a man who is deaf and unable to speak. And Jesus heals him. Their imaginations have been expanded, and instead of fleeing from life, they seek life and healing. We have seen now how Mark uses this passage to transition from the revelation of Jesus the teacher to the revelation of Jesus the prophet on our way to Peter's great confession of Jesus as the Christ. Now let us look from the perspective of the catechumens, the early church, gathered hearing this gospel as preparation for their entry into the church through baptism. What can we learn as we consider the contagion of holiness, the mission of the gospel, and our individual calling to serve the living God? What does the contagion of holiness manifest in Jesus have to do with us today? We're invited first to encounter the prophetic role of the church as the body of Christ, continuing even today to proclaim the word of God to the people of God and the power of God. That is our call as a church, to be this prophetic people. And we learn how to do this in our worship as we hear by the power of God that we are forgiven and cleansed from our sins. We hear this as we hear that the bread and the wine on this table become consecrated as the body and blood of Christ, given for us that we might have life. We learn this prophetic role as we are blessed in the mighty name of the triune God and filled with peace and sent to be instruments and ambassadors of peace in a world increasingly characterized by chaos. As we ourselves are touched by this contagion of holiness in the presence of God, so we are sent to infect others with holiness. As we receive life, we are sent to give life. As we receive light, we are sent to carry light into the darkness of the world around us. You know, we encounter people every day in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, if we're honest, even in the mirror before us, that are oppressed by the culture of death and deceived by the lies of the world. We encounter people oppressed by the culture of death around us and deceived by the lies of the world. And our response is often to turn away in revulsion and condemnation. We're tempted to try to bind in shackles and chains, shackles and chains of our own making, the woundedness and hurt that is manifest in anxiety, judgment, restlessness, and the hopelessness of the culture of death that surrounds us. We're tempted to hide or deny or even normalize the deception manifest in the culture of death manifest in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these that are the works of the flesh. We're tempted to deny that they exist, to hide them in the dark recesses of our lives, or even to normalize them. We're tempted to say that death can be present with life, that darkness can be present with life, that unholiness can be in the presence of the holy. And yet, St. Paul reminds us that our battle is not with the people around us. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers, against the cosmic forces over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil even in the heavenly places. I have to admit, I struggle with this. Even when I am aware of the hurt and deception that lies behind the actions of others, when their actions hurt people I love and care about, when hurt people do indeed hurt people, I want to punish rather than heal. I turn to anger and not love. I forget. I struggle, I resist, I know what God will say, so I don't even pray. I let myself be miserable until I remember. Our call is not to flee or contain or to punish, but instead our call is to pray even before our feet touch the ground, to pray for freedom, and healing and life, to pray and to manifest the contagion of holiness. Paul captures the essence of this call as he writes, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he calls us to participate in this mission of the gospel as ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, imploring everyone on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And in doing this, we are indeed participating in the mission of the gospel. We're reminded that even today, the mission of the gospel, the mission to proclaim and manifest the peace of the kingdom of God meets resistance. The gospel meets resistance when our imaginations must be retrained to even envision light and life, love and hope, healing and peace. And we're encouraged in this by the instruction of Jesus to this man that he has healed. Go home. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The story of the work of God in our own lives is what can expand the imagination of those around us such that they may begin, they may even begin to conceive the hope to which they have been called. Again, St. Paul encourages us to pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened.
that we may know what is the hope to which we have been called, what are the riches and the glorious inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power of God. Finally, we gain insight into our individual calling to serve the Lord. The man that Jesus has healed desires to leave where he has been, to leave the place of his suffering and follow Jesus on a grand adventure. How often do we, reflecting on the greatness of God and aware of his work in our lives, want to go somewhere else and do magnificent things? Some are indeed called to serve in this way. And yet for most of us, the works which God has prepared for us lie in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in all of our daily interactions, to be the contagion of holiness. This man that Jesus has said, go and tell the work of God, goes and tells of the work of God in all the region of the Decapolis. He expands the imagination of those around him such that when Jesus comes, when they encounter the presence of Jesus once again, their imagination can begin to conceive of the hope to which they are called, can begin to conceive of life even when all they know is death. They can begin to conceive of light when all they know is darkness. They can begin to hope. May we all have the same obedience to go and proclaim how much Jesus has done for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Son.